SBS Radio. Professor Pat Dajon is the director of the Center of Best Practice in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Suicide Prevention. Professor Dajon is also project lead and co-author of a new guide for families and communities supporting young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who self-harm. And Professor Dajon has accepted to give us an insight into this new tool. Welcome to Night TV Radio, Professor Dajon. My pleasure. It's a real pleasure to be here, Bertrand. Now, self-harm and suicide are a great concern for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families and communities with the occurrences happening at much higher rates than in the rest of the community. Yet, till now, culturally appropriate tools and information have been lacking. Absolutely. Look, we know um, uh, Indigenous or Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander suicide is a big issue, and I think we're now headed in the right direction in trying to address it. Previously, um, it you know there was a lot of um, programs that were helicoptered in on communities, and they weren't very effective. So we know from the work we've done, the community-based research that we've done, is that um, if people and any marginalised group, um, you know, but particularly for Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, if you're a part of uh, defining the issue and developing the solution. It's much more effective. So our research has shown us that Aboriginal communities needed to be very much involved in figuring out what was the issue and how they, what kind of programs they'd be, um, they'd like to have in place to deal with it. That's a significant change that's only happened in the last few years. You know, I know for some states there's a lot of suicide prevention planning, regional planning that's happened, happening now, and that is very much involving all the communities. This is unprecedented. This little booklet, which is um, we hope will be very helpful for families on supporting young Aboriginal people who self-harm, this is one of those um, resources that needs to be there for families. So, you know, there should be a whole raft of different projects and services um, at the fingertips for families, but, um, but and they will come. I'm pretty positive that, that, you know, we're seeing a change happen. But we do need to get other resources, you know, whether it's online or or, or booklets um, that are uh, you know aren't too complicated or academic or full of jargon that are useful for Aboriginal families. Now you just mentioned that it is important to involve the communities. It's also important to stress that uh, in the development of this new guide, you sought to include uh, Aboriginal youth. Uh, look, and certainly, I mean, this was a book that was for mainstream, so it's an adapt- adaptation, but it is different, much different. We felt that we couldn't just do it um, in our offices. We needed to go out, and out. so our researchers actually went out to the communities, and we've got some very strong um, community relationships, and Professor Ros Walker led this consultation and, and uh, research to ensure that it was culturally appropriate. We went out to a whole range of different um, communities, to uh, Geraldton, to the Kimberley, to Bunbury and the southwest of Western Australia. And in those workshops, there were not only counsellors or health workers, but young people as well. So they were very much involved in, you know, defining the issues 
but also saying what's going to be useful. And that's really important. You know, I've been to some meetings about Aboriginal youth and there's no Aboriginal youth there. So whether it's, um, you know, there's this lived experience movement that started, which is absolutely fabulous. And, you know, how can we say what's good for people if that if people who have been the consumers of that particular program or, or service aren't sitting at the table. So what I might think would be useful may well not be. So we do need to have young people at the table to tell us what needs to happen for them or else we'll, we'll always be working in the dark, I feel. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, you spoke about helicoptering, which I think is a more appropriate word than uh, what some people call mainstreaming. But things like uh, fostering connection with family and kinship, community, culture, country and identity, these are things that uh, do matter and can heavily help tackle the issues of self-harm. That's where the strength is. Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people have gone through this terrible um, process of colonisation. Our position is that some of those impacts are now being, um, you know, are still happening in our communities. We've had, you know, removal of people from their countries and lands into missions and reserves and and a terrible period of um, surveillance that happened for Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people. Still ongoing racism, exclusion. You know, we have um, systemic racism, which doesn't exclude Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people. Um, that is starting to turn around, but our people need um, to, the, there needs to be a period of healing and recovery from that. And um, But um, I think if self-determination is um, a principle that we work by, that will bring that around, that will ensure that that happens and people become empowered and that we acknowledge, you know, we talk about taking strength-based approaches. We need to acknowledge that um, our communities have the solutions, they have the strength and resilience. So a solution will be to, to look at what's, uh, you know, the values um, that are happening in communities communities um, and um, and certainly the youth came up with those um, solutions as well you know they they said things like you know so many young people who self-harm feel that no one's listening to them they said that the solution was to reconnect with communities with their elders with their families and to do things that are um, cultural you know cultural activities go out bush to to go fishing and find that good person in their family who is their rock and their connection so so they um, certainly know what they would like to happen for them and those things are um, listed in this booklet so I think it's very valuable and we're open to feedback too as we promote it. You know, if people say, oh, you, do, you maybe you should have put this other issue in there, we're very open to that as well. But we're, we're proud of it. We did undertake a, a very strong and, and deep community consultation. I think that it is going to be useful. Having said that, it's one of many um, different resources that need to be there for Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander families. Yeah, it is said that uh, the guide identifies early warning signs and factors that may influence First Nations people to harm themselves. Can you tell us one or two of uh, these vital signs to look out for? 
in the guide, there is a um, section on early signs and symptoms to look out for. And there it says young people may show emotional behaviour or physical symptoms of self-harm. They might be acting out of school. They might be being angry all the time or being withdrawn from their friends and their families, being um, protective of their bags, blaming themselves for problems, you know, covering their arms and legs. So this is more about self-harm, wearing long sleeves or pants to cover up, you know, any cuts or bruises they might have. They might have low mood or depression, a lack of interest in life, and they might be more secretive than usual. And they'll be careful about not swimming or changing clothes around others so their wounds aren't exposed. They might be saying things like, you know, that they are a failure, they're worthless, useless, hopeless and feeling no good. And there'll be unexplained um, bruises and burns on, on their bodies. So they're the, you know, obvious things to look out for. And um, and then we say, you know, um, there's, there's a um, section on why they do it. But um, there's also a section on, you know, how to start the conversation, to start talking to them. You know, if they say, for instance, I haven't got anyone who I feel I can trust to hold me, you might say things like, I'm your mum, dad, family, and we love you and we do care about you. Let's find someone you can trust together. So there's there's a lot of tips and example conversations. So it's, it's useful in that regard. And then there is a section on suicide. What if there's been talk about suicide? Because that, that we're separating the two issues, self-harm and suicide. You know, how to have a frank conversation about that with that young people as well. But um, so very important. And there's case studies in here to, you know, to um, it's, you know, people sometimes get embarrassed or they, they feel that they, you know, these issues are happening for everyone. So we need to keep conversations happening and ensure that we have spaces, safe spaces, where we can talk to each other about what's happening for our families and communities. But now looking from another perspective, families and loved ones can also be impacted by someone self-harming. Is this addressed in the guide as well? How can one cope in a situation where a loved one or a close relative or a family member is self-harming? We probably haven't put as much self-care in um, as we could have because you're, that's a very good point. You know, for everyone who's around, it's a, it, if someone is vulnerable and they are doing self-harming activities, it's, a, it's very frightening and, and you're not sure what to do or how to do it, you know, whether you're doing the right thing or whether it's going to cause more problems. Being frank, if it's done with love and care, is is okay. You know, if you're doing it for love, with love and care and empathy, it is okay. But um, we probably didn't talk about what people themselves need to um, do and self-care that they need to do for themselves as well because, you know, we, it, it's not like we're not emotionally connected and distressed ourselves when these things happen in our, our family. But we do have a section on healing as a family and about staying together and, um, uh, you know, that brothers and sisters may feel angry that and think self-harming, the person who's self-harming is selfish and causing distress. But to, to how to deal with that... Um, 
So I think, to you know, that's where we do go into the impacts on other members of the family. But the one who takes responsibility, and there'll be one in every family and every community, there will be the stand-up people who, who take responsibility and look after everyone else. They need to also look after themselves. They are the um, key people of families and communities, and, and um, we need them there. So, they, you know, we need to consider what we do to keep them strong. How can one access this guide and uh, in what format is it being delivered? Look, there is a link. This is a joint project between Origin and the Centre for Best Practice in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Suicide Prevention at UWA. We'll also be sending it to the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisations and ask them to put them this uh, resource onto their websites as well. So you can access it and download it. But we will also have hard copies. I know that for some people it might be easier to get a hard copy. So if you do contact the Centre for Best Practice in Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Suicide Prevention at the University of Western Australia, we will send you um, a hard copy. Professor Pat Dajon, Director of the Centre for Best Practice in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Suicide Prevention. It's been a pleasure talking to you and learning more about the newly launched guide for families and communities supporting young Aboriginal people who self-harm. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Professor Dajon. My pleasure. Thank you. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from.